0: Welcome to Mud Season, a podcast that cuts through the mud and brings you true stories from the Vermont Laboratory. Today we're joined by professor and scholar Wolfgang Mieder.
1: My name is Wolfgang Mieder. I'm a university distinguished professor of German and folklore at the University of Vermont and have been here since 1971.
0: Mieder is a scholar of Peremiology, the study of proverbs.
1: So proverbs are short, generalized Uh, observations of human behavior or natural phenomena that we repeat because they say things in a nutshell, so to speak.
0: So sayings like, ignorance is bliss, a dog is a man's best friend, practice makes perfect.
1: The early bird catches the worm, Um, not everything is gold, not everything that glitters is gold. Uh, Big fish eat little fish, one hand washes the other. Uh, things along that line, but thousands of them, really.
0: And although these are all English examples, proverbs aren't at all unique to English.
1: There are proverbs that are almost universally known throughout the world. It all depends uh, whether certain proverbs have been loan-translated into other languages. So, we have basically a large stock of proverbs in the English language that actually go back to classical antiquity, Greek and Roman times. The next uh, category would be uh, religious proverbs from the Bible or from the Quran. Then you have the Latin medieval set of proverbs that again reached many languages. And then in addition to that, you have all the indigenous proverbs of the various cultures of the world you can think of. And those would be the ones that also would be the most difficult for a translator to deal with because they don't necessarily have equivalents or identical equivalents in other languages.
0: There are some regional proverbs like this as well. For example, Meter's book of Vermont proverbs, Talk Less and Say More, includes the Vermont proverb, Town Meeting is Time to Put in the Potatoes. This refers to the Vermont Town Meeting Day, March 3rd, as the optimal time to plant potatoes for Vermont's plant hardiness zone which is pretty specific. But potato planting aside, proverbs are pretty powerful linguistic tools, allowing us to communicate a lot in only a few words.
1: And today, it is the American English language that has the greatest international influence as far as spreading a whole new set of proverbs all around the world. For example, a picture's worth a thousand words, Uh, If someone gives you uh, lemon, make lemonade, uh, go big or go home. Those are the proverbs, or garbage in, garbage out from the computer world. Those are the proverbs that are now spreading internationally, either in English or as translations, due to the incredible power of the American mass media.
0: Which brings us to Meter's most recent research. The use of proverbs by American politicians.
1: So it takes the dryness out of political rhetoric. It it adds it adds emotion, and and expression, and feeling. And uh, if you want to communicate on a broader level, uh, proverbs add a tremendous amount of color to, especially to an oral speech. And uh, since proverbs are also usually not always, but Usually, metaphors um, the language becomes much more poetic and expressive and you can in a way uh, when you use a proverb you add authority to what you're saying. If you just use a proverbial expression which would basically be a metaphor that is often used, uh, you add uh, color to what you're saying and your audience can identify with it. So if you make a point and you've just finished a paragraph explaining a certain thing and you can wind it up with a proverb that hits, so to speak, the proverbial nail on the head,
0: then people will say, oh yeah,
1: I I can understand that.
0: Barack Obama frequently used proverbs in his speeches as president for this purpose.
1: Barack Obama uh, grew up... in the in the way uh, in the uh, Baptist somonic tradition, so he has the richness of the African American uh, language uh, right ready to go. Even though he went to Harvard, he had his ear to the ground. He he knows the lingo, so to speak. Uh, so uh, when you when you read the speeches of President Obama, you you can really kind of see that uh, he. Uh, models his speech on certain popular songs you can't say it but you know it's true <laughs> I'm so in love <laughs> or uh, other people whom he admired uh, Frederick Douglass and then uh, Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King
2: and through hard experience what Frederick Douglass once taught, that freedom is not given, it must be won through struggle and discipline, persistence and faith. I've always believed what the first Republican president, a guy named Abraham Lincoln, said. He said we should do individually those things that we do best by ourselves, but to our government, we should do together what we can't do as well for ourselves. As Dr King said at the time it may be true that the law can't make a man love me but it can keep him from lynching me and i think that's pretty important
1: and when i did my book on on obama i could see how he actually uses proverbs and so on that these people used to bring more life more linguistic expressiveness To his speeches.
0: And actually, Obama's use of proverbs could be the result of his admiration for Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln, he had
1: that colloquial touch to his uh, uh, highly important speeches. So he would add uh, a proverb from time to time. I would say the most famous is his uh, Cooper Union address, where he ends a very important speech of wanting to keep the union together by all means, by saying, right makes might. Let us have faith
2: that right
1: makes might, and in that faith, let us, to the end, dare to do our duty as we understand it.
0: Obama also frequently quoted the Bible, sprinkling proverbs into his speeches from the religious category we mentioned earlier, for greater effect.
1: Obama very, very much liked the golden rule that I already mentioned. Uh, He he often uh, says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you.
2: But the success of our community will depend on your ability to follow the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated. But in the words of Scripture, the time has come to set aside childish things. And in this Tower of Babel, we lose the sound of God's voice.
1: But he also uses, you know, uh, proverbs that, that uh, you and I would use in, in everyday speech.
2: And we knew there were some bad apples and that even to worry about them out of sight, out of mind.
1: President Obama was especially rich, I think, for a modern president in, in his use of proverbs. But... I would never say that a president should overuse proverbial language. I think this is what happened a little bit to Bernie Sanders. If you use language like that too much, then before you know it, uh, people will say, well, he always uses this statement or that statement. His two favorite proverbs, especially in the first campaign, were... Enough is enough. When is enough enough?
2: And I say, enough is enough. (laughs) Enough is
1: enough. And the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. The very, very rich are getting incredibly richer. The middle class is disappearing and the poor are getting poorer. But he used them so often that I think... Certainly to someone like myself, who was watching his language, it became a little bit overdone.
0: And on the other side of the spectrum, we have politicians like Donald Trump, whose speeches are almost completely devoid of proverbial language.
1: President Trump is is really, truly an interesting case when it comes to a colloquial or proverbial language. He's perfectly capable of using aggressive language, uh, and, uh, but he is not particularly metaphorical, and I can hardly find a proverbial expression or a proverb.
0: And make America great again, like Obama's change we can believe in, is a slogan, not a proverb.
1: A proverb has to contain a basic truth, something that that can be observed as a slogan is a little bit more uh, limited. You cannot use a slogan in as many different uh, situations with with different functions, with different meanings. So a proverb has to be multifunctional, uh, um, multi-expressive. So it cannot be as limited as saying, you know, well, let's make America great again.
0: And maybe there is some kind of linguistic trend in politics today. Take the first two 2020 Democratic debates for example.
1: If you print those speeches out, they come out as if they were written in two maybe three-line paragraphs. So what that would show you from a from a rhetorical point of view or stylistic point of view is that basically we are bombarded with short pieces of claim or information or statements that are not developed.
0: And Dr. Meter has a theory as to why this is, perhaps in part due to a platform that has risen significantly as a political tool over the past four years.
1: President Trump spent much of his weekend
0: putting his message out
1: on Twitter. A new poll finds just one in
2: four Americans are comfortable with the president's use of Twitter. The Donald J. Trump presidential Twitter library here at South by Southwest... The exhibits are constantly hitting refresh. Because many of you, it turns out, are blocked by Trump on Twitter. But all that's over. Because this afternoon a federal judge ruled that Trump can't block people on Twitter. So,
1: yeah. Twitter forces all of us, whoever uses that uh, medium, forces you to be very short. You don't think your thoughts through. You don't develop... Uh, What is behind, let's say, a statement like, we're uh, going to have that wall in Mexico, is going to build it. Uh, If he were to have to stand and say that, he would have to maybe utter an entire paragraph and give some explanation how he thinks he's going to do that. So that, I think, is, I've noticed with all of the speeches that I have read uh, in the last few days. And uh, I think that's where also these things come from. I didn't say that. It's because you never developed what you were saying in the first place. In comparison to speeches that President Obama gave, or further back, uh, FDR Roosevelt. I mean, those were, at times, oratorial masterpieces. I would say that all the speeches that I've read lately are no rhetorical masterpieces. I I always have thought it would be better for a president to uplift his or her audience rather than to think we are... Uh, so incapable of understanding a well-argued paragraph.
0: But if we're giving rankings, there are two candidates that stand out among the others for their use of proverbs and proverbial phrases.
1: Elizabeth Warren, I think as far as her most recent speeches, I think she is pretty much on top she and Joe Biden I think are about the most proverbial. She had she had uh, things like it's it stacks the deck for the wealthy, uh, just scratching the surface, left the workers with the short end of the stick. Uh, so, oh yeah, and then she did use the proverb, uh, the rising tide lifts all boats.
0: Which is actually a proverb associated with JFK, a figure who was favorably referenced by candidates throughout the debates.
2: There's an old saying that a rising
1: tide lifts all the boats. And as the Northwest United States rises, so does the entire country.
0: This phrase was later co-opted by conservative politicians in favor of tax cuts, Here's Ronald Reagan in 1981.
1: There's a truth to the words spoken by John F. Kennedy that a rising tide lifts all boats. Now, yes, I know it's been said, what about the fellow without a boat who can't swim? Well,
2: I believe John Kennedy's figure of speech was referring to the benefits which accrue to all when the economy is flourishing.
0: So there's some irony to Warren's inverse use of the proverb. Preach the gospel that free trade was a rising tide that would lift all boats. Uh, It's great rhetoric, except that the trade deals that they negotiated mainly lifted the yachts. But it just goes to show the complicated ways in which proverbs used in politics become associated with people and movements and gain new meaning as parties and platforms move in new directions. And maybe there is some sense that this kind of association, under the right circumstances, is valuable, like political currency.
1: Joe Biden, when he gave one of his early speeches in this particular campaign, he uh, made the statement, he started by saying, all men are, and then he said, and women are created equal.
2: Our campaign is about restoring that notion that all men and women are created equal.
1: And there again, too, I had the feeling that Joe Biden thought, oh boy, I, I got the gender issue in there. That was a perfect thing for me to do. What he probably wasn't aware of, or maybe he was, I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, shortchange him, uh, is that already Elizabeth Cady Stanton, on July 19, 1848, at Seneca Falls, New York, at the beginning of the modern American feminist movement, had said, all men and women are created equal. So it is as old as anything.
0: And that's really the crux of Proverbs. They often predate the people they're attributed to. Evidence that the human experience hasn't really changed all that much and used correctly, they can unite or divide us.
1: I think it is important that we analyze political speeches, period. A good politician will know how to choose her vocabulary to fit certain constituents. As a professor, you do the same thing. Who is my audience? What does my audience know? Or what does my audience expect? With the proverbs, uh, if they are placed at the right moment without overdoing it, I want to stress that, it can close an argument. It can uh, put authority behind it. It's very difficult to argue against uh, a proverb like man does not live by bread alone, for example.
0: Thank you for listening to Mud Season, presented by the Center for Research on Vermont. This week's episode is titled Politics and Proverbs, brought to you by me, your host, Eliza Giles. This episode included research provided by professor of German and folklore, Wolfgang Meter. If you are studying Vermont, either as a profession or as a hobby, consider applying for membership to the Center for Research on Vermont. It costs nothing and will help you to keep up to date with the latest Vermont news and research, as well as with future podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram under username at CRVT underscore. If you know of a story that should be featured on our show, please contact us. If we miss something or if anything in this episode is incorrect, please email us at CRVT at UVM and we'll update the information. Regardless, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.